Hi everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting, the podcast. I am the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, the book, which was published by Penguin Random House last summer. Um, I also write for lots of magazines, newspapers, websites, health websites, uh, and Fit Pregnancy magazines, Ask the Labor Nurse. And throughout um, all of this writing and so many years as a nurse, uh, among the biggest influencers in why I do the work that I do, um, what motivates me to do the kind of service work that I do, an awful lot of it has to do with my family. It has to do with, um, this is what I do to raise my kids. And this is the kind of life that I'm trying to emulate for my children. Um, you know, a life that includes just everything you got to offer, everything that you are good at and passionate about. And yeah, a certain amount of just day-to-day work work. Um, I think that it's important to teach kids that you go for your passions and you accept a little bit of the drudgery that goes along with it. That's life. That's work. That's what we do. Um, So it's Mother's Day, and I want to say Happy Mother's Day to everyone out there listening who is a mother, has a mother, knows a mother. That's where we all started, right? With our moms, with their moms, and we should be celebrating that as often as possible, Um, and certainly on Mother's Day itself. I remember I wrote something a while back um, for Fit Pregnancy Magazine, and it was a long, long time ago, about why it's really important to celebrate Mother's Day. And, you know, it's because we deserve it. It's because it's a special day. It's because being mothers or being um, daughters and sons is, it's one of the hugest, most influential relationships that we're ever going to have in our lives. And I really believe that everything good in life starts with the mama. So let's party on that. Do you need to give mom a brunch out, a load of flowers, um, presents. Well, I think you should treat her nice. You find your own traditions and figure out how you want to do that. So today I want to talk about all about Mother's Day. Since Mother's Day is this week, I can't think of a better way to celebrate than to talk with my own kids. And yes, I know that's a bit self-indulgent, but hear me out. I have three daughters, a son and a niece who are all part of what I call my five pack. Only one of them has a child, and for the rest, parenting may or may not be a choice they make sometime down the road. Each one is unique in his or her own right, and they're each making big contributions to the world. What they have in common is that they've all been raised by a nurse and a writer, and they're making their way through a period of history that's challenging and sometimes divisive, especially when it comes to issues like the economy, the affordability of adulthood, women's lives and health, and they're in a generation that's redefining what it means to be family and to live a happy life. So I've got them all on the line here and I want to introduce them one at a time. Lauren Faulkner lives in New York City. She is a visual artist and a really talented painter and she also is a city associate and works in operations for Urban Stems, an on-demand floral delivery service based out of New York and Washington, D.C. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Mom. (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) It's going great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, it's fun to talk to you every time. 
Um, Camille. Camille Faulkner is just a year and a half younger than Lauren. She lives in Seattle and is Operations um, and Community Connections Manager for Operation Sack Lunch, a nonprofit organization that feeds the homeless community. Hey, Camille. Hi, Mama. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little bit tired from work, but I'm okay. And you've got your not-quite-two-year-old puppy stashed away somewhere being quiet? Yeah, he crawled underneath my bed. We just got back from the park where he ran pretty hard, so now he's hiding. <laughs> and his cave. All right. Lua Masumi is the mama in the group. She lives in Los Angeles and has a seven-and-a-half-month-old, really cute baby boy. And she is the host of a podcast called Superheroes of Los Angeles. Hi, Lua. Hi, yeah. Are you literally hiding in the closet as the only quiet place in the house? I literally am in the closet because <laughs> that is how loud my son is. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for hiding, hun. <laughs> Lee Faulkner is the lone brother among a pack of sisters. He lives in Portland, Oregon, and he's a professional musician. Hey, Lee. Hi there. How's it going? Um, it's going good. Hello to all of my sisters. How are you doing? Hi, Lee. Hi, Lee. Uh, Hi, Lee. Hi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Olivia Faulkner. <laughs> we got the giggles on my podcast. This is great. <laughs> Olivia Faulkner is my youngest. She is 16 and a high school sophomore. Hey, Liv. Hi. So I guess... My first question for all of you is this, and be nice to me, you guys. <laughs> Just how tough was it being raised by a working mom, a labor nurse, a feminist, and as part of a bigger-than-average family? Who wants to start off? I want to start I off. I can start off. Oh, Lauren wants to start yeah, off. That's okay. I go. go. <laughs> I just gave you permission. Go ahead. <laughs> um... Well, I've actually been thinking a lot about this recently um, because I have a new job that requires a lot of organization and a lot of independence and courage and how those are all skills that I have at my disposal now um, as somebody just trying to start establishing a career that I never would have gotten if it hadn't been for our family and the way we were raised and the way we grew up. How so? Well, I think um, that I always think that our family events, which have been like, I'm thinking Christmas, I'm thinking Thanksgiving, which are huge productions that we as a family come together and um, and host. It's a lot of work, and it's really served me well being able to see how that was done and how natural that comes to us as a big family. And now I can take that in with me into other areas of my life, but right now, my job. And um, also, I think... You know, we all operate really well as a, as a team and as a family, but independence and then like an independent work ethic has always been something that's really been important 
to something that you've raised in us as well. And so similarly, I wouldn't have been able to feel successful in my in my position now and as I go ahead without that. Awesome. Camille, what do you want to add to that? Well, a couple of things. I think um, I'd never considered that it was abnormal that you were working full time. I, I never challenged that as something that was inappropriate um, or that any of us were lacking because you were working full time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's important to note. We always had the resources and the human resources and love around us. We had a really fabulous nanny for a good part of Lauren and I's childhood and definitely Lee and Olivia's childhood. And um, there was just this fair, there, you know, there was never a question of whether or not it was appropriate to have um, both parents working full-time jobs. It's, you know, we, we were never lacking. But I also, you know, on an entirely different note, um, while we were growing up and into my early 20s, you were a labor and delivery nurse and you're in the hospital delivering babies every single day. And um, I consider that a form of direct service. And now I work in direct service and I um, I'm really, really challenged by working in direct service and working with people in crises every day um, because it's exhausting and it's draining. And um, that was not ever something that I think was made apparent to us kids that you were bringing home the traumas of your day. And I remember talking um, about them or overhearing situations about them, like a, like a child that was issued right out of the birth canal into the foster system or um, people struggling with sobriety while being pregnant, things like that. And those are very formative things. I think that kind of describes this world where people are very challenged and, and are challenged by their circumstances and by a lack of education and poverty and things like that. So those were um, obviously very traumatic events for you to experience and then to come home and be a mother and to be able to balance that as well as I think that you did is pretty remarkable. But it also gave me these foundational blocks for going to work with these disadvantaged populations. And we work with, um, you know, one of our primary um, resources is, is for people who are unhoused or unsheltered, but we work with every low-income population Um and I think that the way that you approached and imbued your 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 patients with humanity, even though they were struggling with things, is something that has been really foundational for the way that not only do I form personal relationships, but also professional relationships and relationships with my clients, because it's very non-judgmental. Um, and it's, yeah, I think that is, is something that I've been reflecting on a little bit. I also, <laughs> there's a, you know, a very funny reality in that you taught my fifth grade sex ed class and so I know. <laughs> sex, sex and, and reproductive are never really far from our upbringing and that's also a great thing I think there's a lot of judgment around um, sex and sexual identity that, that at least I missed out on because talking about all the ways these people operate and all the baggage they carry with them and all of the ways they think about their identity and their sexuality and pleasure and things like that. Those were kind of more or less normative um, things to think about growing up with someone who works um, in the reproductive industry, but also you've taught sex education classes and things like that. So, Well, that was one of the questions I was going to ask was that y'all grew up with me talking shop about births and patients and health stuff. Did I scar anyone? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know what I was thinking about? I remember in fifth grade, you know, they don't cover so much of the of the actual sex part, but I remember that you split the group in half, boys and girls, and you taught the, the genders separately. And I remember um, from maxi pads, you just had freaking enormous maxi pads <laughs> and tampons <laughs> show that we were talking about. <laughs> and and um, I remember thinking, like, good, boys should know about this. Like, yes, the boys are going to know about that. <laughs> I know, I remember. Thinking, like, oh, this is my information. Boys need that. Like, um, yeah, I, I remember rem- thinking that as a 10-year-old. I remember I brought in a great big paper shopping bag filled with uh, different kinds of pads, the huge maxi pads and the mini pads mm-hmm. and the tampons. And the girls... Just instantly, as soon as that paper bag came out, they were like, they were just, they could not keep their hands off of it. They were ripping off (laughs) sticky strips. They were popping out tampons. I mean, this was applicable information that they could use in life. And the boys were a little more hesitant. They were like, ew, 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 ew. You know, and I had to reassure the boys that these aren't used. They're clean things. And pretty soon, you know, they too were passing around the tampons and they were being silly about it at first, you know, trying to put tampons up their nose Mm -hmm. and trying to stick maxi pads on each other's heads, that kind of stuff. But they got that out of their system pretty quickly. And then they really wanted to know stuff. And I remember that the boys wanted to know practical things like if I have to go to the store and buy this for my sister, will she be mad if I bought the wrong stuff? And, you know, the correct answer is, um, yeah, get the brand right, boys. But <laughs> I think I was... <laughs> I think I was nicer about it than that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so Lee and Olivia, you know, I left the hospital. I, I pretty much quit doing bedside nursing, hospital nursing, about eight years ago. Do you guys remember when I was working in the hospital? I vaguely remember it. I don't, I don't remember so much of it, but I remember you would, um, my favorite part was when you would come home and tell us the crazy names that people had named their children. Yeah. Like oh, yeah, one time too. you told us that somebody named their daughter Lollipop so that they would never be able to be mad at somebody named Lollipop because it's just too silly. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Cause you were about eight I years remember, old at the time. That would be hilarious. I remember. Yeah. I remember going in and visiting you at the hospital, and there was a special room that had crackers and milk, like little milk boxes in it, uh-huh. and I liked that. I thought that was fun. Lee, what do you remember? Well, I don't really... Um, well, I remember... Um, I don't know. I remember you just working a lot. I, I, I don't... <laughs> was a dumb answer. Um, but I do, I remember, uh, you like coming home. I remember mostly you telling me not to get, um, a motorcycle and you telling me not to, uh, like all, all of those yeah. things. And, um, like, I don't know. I, I always thought it was weird that boys didn't know those things and were weirded out by it because like, I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't know. That's 
strange. Were you the educator in your group of boys? Did you go and tell them about this stuff? Um, no. Um, I assumed that they should do the work themselves. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. I, I am definitely an educator in my group. I, I have a wealth of knowledge about birth and birth practice and maternity and et cetera, et cetera, that even though I don't have any women in my peer group who are, are um, you know, thinking about pregnancy or things like that, there are still questions like, well, what, like, like um, I don't know what the exact question is, but generally someone asks something about a uterus, and I'm like, actually, it's like this. <laughs> They're like, whoa. So, I mean, it's not a very well-known thing, thinking about birth. Um, and I can't necessarily say that I feel like more prepared um, to give birth or anything, having a mother who's in the birth industry, but um, I, just, I mean, I'm more in touch with the way that my body works, I guess. Well, Lua, you can sort of speak to that. Did, you know, having, you know, me as in the birth industry in any way prepare you for having your baby? Yeah, I think it definitely, I did. Um, Partially going to work with you. Yeah. And just being exposed, Mm -hmm. um, what it's like in a hospital, but also hearing hearing about it made it more normal. Um, I think that as a society, we don't talk about birth um, very often. Um, And when we do, it's just really scary, overwhelming, horrible, like you've just completely lost control of your body experience. Um, So it's really terrifying. And um, I remember watching like television shows with you not very often, but when it happened, and, um, if there was ever a medical scene, I remember your reaction was always like, oh, um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I didn't have enough context. But now when I watch TV or movies and I see a labor scene, I have the same reaction that you used to have. Like, um, that's not how it happens. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that is just so ridiculous. Um, and just feeling like I, I get it now being on the other side of things. So. Um, I think so. I think it, I think it gave me a bigger sense of calm, um, and a a feeling of control, um, that I wouldn't have been able to have because I kind of knew what questions to ask and I knew what I wanted and what I didn't want. Yeah. I think that that was really helpful. Your birth went really just as well as it possibly could have, I think. It was exactly my plan. Yeah. Um, even though I halfway abandoned it. Um, no one else let me abandon it, so that was pretty nice. <laughs> so on a different... I think what yeah, go ahead. Thing, oh, um, I think one thing that's definitely unique about having um, you as part of, as our mom is um, we all got to see birth firsthand when we were mm-hmm. teenagers or younger. Mm-hmm. I, does that still apply? To, yeah, Olivia too, yeah. And I think that, more than anything, that's not a very common experience for a lot of people who are our age to have been able to witness, and very informative and special thing that we got to see Yeah, many times growing up. Lauren and Camille were Mm -hmm. um, present at Olivia's birth, and in fact, Lauren, you cut her umbilical cord. I did. So my favorite memory of of probably my whole life. 
Yeah. You guys were so embarrassed, though, when I was pregnant with Olivia because you were both in middle school. And it was just. No. We were in, well, I was in elementary school. I was in sixth grade. Yeah, that's right. And just, oh my God, how could I even do such a horrible thing? <laughs> so horrible. Sorry, Liz. <laughs> it's okay. I know you love me now. <laughs> We didn't know how special you could be. Well, let's let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, I think that parenting roles have changed a lot in my lifetime, for sure. Um, You know, I was raised by a stay-at-home mom, mother of eight, who never worked while, you know, my siblings and I were kids. And um, she never had a career. When she, before she got married... You know, she had ideas about being a journalist and traveling. And then she got married, had started having babies a year later, and didn't stop until I was born, um, 22 years after the first. Um, nowadays, you know, as you guys have mentioned, I've always been a working mom. 48% of the economy is women, and most mothers work. So how do you guys think, you know, parenting will change in your generation? I'm seeing some big changes right now. I'm seeing that the role of fathers is becoming um, more important, more accepted, and less ridiculed. You know, like, you know, we're seeing, like, if you look on TV, you know, during many, many years, if a dad is shown as being the father, he is, um, you know, a bumbling idiot who doesn't know which end of the kid to wipe. And we're seeing less and less of that now. So what, what do you guys think about that? I'll take that one. Um, I think for one thing I'm seeing in family and friends, um, a lot more stay at home dads, but that's something that's really becoming more normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a really big step that to have dads embrace fatherhood um is not something you know just on the weekends or you know after work but the thing that they give up their careers and they stay home um so i think that really shifts the dynamic a lot um and that dads are becoming seen as really critical parts of um the child's development i think having worked in education for a long 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 time um I just I talked to so many kids, boys and girls, but boys in particular, um, who don't have a, a, a present father whose, whose father is absent for whatever reason, and seeing how much that really hurts them, both in, in terms of behavior or um, in terms of them kind of sharing some of their stories, and um, I think we're really coming to acknowledge that pain and the importance of dad in a child's life and growing up. So I think that that's a really positive step forward um, that frees up mom um, to be a career person, if that's what she's interested in, and also to not have to be the only person in the family who holds the responsibility for the child's emotional well-being, that that role seems to be um, shared a lot more um, by both parents, mm-hmm. and I think that helps both boys and girls 
learn positive relationships. Um, I think it, it teaches little girls what it means to be in a positive relationship um, and to really value themselves in a really different way than having a more absent father, um, having that emotionally connected dad. And it really teaches boys that you can be a man without hiding off your feelings, that you can share, that you could cry, that you could take care of babies um, and still be a man. And I think that that's really powerful. And I'm seeing that shift um, a lot in my generation, and I think that's really beautiful. Who else wants to add to that? I think that especially with my generation, there's a big focus on, like, safe sex and, like, protection and whatnot. And I think that especially with, um, like, things like HIV and uh, just, like, certain STIs being more present and, like, I not still not taught, like, to an adequate degree, I don't think. But um, still, like, I, I, I think it's more, I, I think that the community of youth, at least that I'm interacting with, are more aware of, um, the, like, precautions. And, like, I don't know, I'm 20, my partner is 19, and, like, I, how old were your, your parents when they first started having kids? I think my mom like, was 19. Around, my mom was and, 19, and I was 27 when I had my first. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I, I still have, at, at yeah. least not right now, I, I have no plans. I don't think that I would be in a position to raise eight kids <laughs> at, you know, mm-hmm. whatever age. I think, yeah, that's a good point, Lee. I think what might be, what I notice is... Um, I think it relates to almost a gender nonconformity and to empowering individuals where um, people have a choice now to choose how they identify um, and that's more openly accepted and that is becoming normal and that's really going to change the way families and parenting are um, affected in the future, I think. Um, for for people in Lee's, Olivia and Lee's generation and people in my generation, too. I also, I think there's a social trend now towards empowering women, thankfully, thank goodness, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to mean that we see more women who are, who make a really informed choice whether or not they want to have a family and when they want to have a family and how they want to support that family. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that'll really change the way we see family dynamics and parenting in the future too. It's not something that is expected anymore. Mm -hmm. I think if I might add though, uh, we are getting, I don't know, we're getting a very narrow perspective on it. I mean, Besides Lua, I think that, I mean, Camille, you live in Seattle, Lauren, you live in New York, and Olivia live in Portland. Like, I think those are all very, like, liberal, like, bubbles. And, like, I don't yeah. I, 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 I think for me to comment on it as a whole, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening outside of these communities as much as I want to. But I can comment on my mm-hmm. own 
And I can I can yeah. say that my hope board progressing to that. I'm trying to progress to that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lee, I don't know if it's because, you know, you were raised surrounded by sisters or if it's because of, as you mentioned, the liberal community that we live in. But you are particularly sensitive in regard to gender equality. And how do you think that will play into, you know, your ideas about parenthood or your eventual parenthood? Um, I don't know. I, I, I assume that it's the, I hope, I don't know. I hope, <laughs> I hope that maybe I was just naturally a good person. I don't know. But, um, I, I think that growing up, I've always assumed that like women are the like smart ones and like boys are the ones that like <laughs> fulfill the work that the women need done because I don't know. That makes sense. Your dad's um, your dad's not a, <laughs> um, your, your dad's not exactly a slacker, son. <laughs> well, I know. I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm just saying this is as I'm not singling out my father. I'm just saying as a whole, uh, it that's just how I'm two to three year old me thought. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I I grow up and I see a lot of. Uh, I don't know. I just see a lot of terrible inequalities and I see a lot of um, sexist things that I do personally that I, I need to de-internalize and it, it's gross. I just feel, I feel nasty and I, I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense to me that the world works the way it does. And I, I, I don't know. I can only strive to be the best that I can. Well, I think that I you are in a point in history where this is really becoming, um, there's a lot of awareness being raised around gender equity issues. And your, mm -hmm. your generation, um, maybe especially of men, are going to have an integral role in how this progresses. And you know. Yeah, I am also. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go for it. No, go ahead. Well, I mean, I am. I am also, you know, a six plus foot, 200 something pound white guy who is in a very privileged position that I can speak my mind and, you know, I, I can have those, uh, I can have that, you know, those thoughts and speak them how I want and I can be in that position and I'm very lucky about that. I think that a lot of people would share that. I don't, I don't know. I hope that everyone shares that position, but I don't know. I think that it's, I, I'm in an especially easy place other than Portland. I'm, I, I don't know. Well, Lee, I always think whenever I talk to you, um, I just think I'm always so impressed with how thoughtful you are in choosing the way that you inform yourself and inform others and the vocabulary you use and the ideas you think about regarding um, gender and sexism. So I think you you are in a privileged place and you're ahead of the curve too because you have an open mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also no, have a kick-ass partner. You do. Who's listening in on the line. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Sophie, are you are you there? Um, I'm wearing headphones, but they are. They're sitting on my bed. Okay. <laughs> they're making they're making a silly face. Okay. So, <laughs> in in my mind, 
I feel like, you know, both dad and I have made fairly balanced contributions towards, you know, our family's economy and towards raising you kids and running of the household. How do you guys see it? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I tell people, you know, yeah, we both work for a living. Um, and you know, and, and there's always a question like, well, who does the housework? And we do, I mean, like I haven't done the whole family. Yeah, we all do. (laughs) It takes a village. Every single one of us does the housework. Yeah. Every Saturday. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But you know, dad does all our laundry. I mean, that's a little different. Mm-hmm. We... I do my own laundry. <laughs> you get extra points in heaven, Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I want... think that you, well, I've got, I've got a response to that. Yeah, go for it. But I think that you and Dad have um, very complementary skill sets. Mm-hmm. Like, Dad has this um, kind of craftsman, artistic sense, which I think really, really, and, and so... Um, music craft as well, which were kind of passed down um, in tradition to all of us kids. All of us do handicraft, learn to find artists, a musician. Libby is um, a burgeoning DIY expert, and, um, you know, I, I work with my hands every day in some capacity or other. So I think you guys have this, this great thing where Mom, you're pretty intellectual and political, and Dad is... Um, he he produces these things with his hands, and I think it's really fulfilling to have both of those things in our lives. And I, I mean, you, he did all the laundry. He made our Easter dresses. He you know makes cakes and pies like a wizard that no woman in our family can even touch. So I think you guys contributed equally in a way that was really apparent, and that was really challenging the norms of the way that our friends um, fathers especially we're present in our lives. Well, you know, I I, uh, can't be a slacker when it comes to the crafting and the artistic stuff. So, you know, I've taken up knitting knitting in my senior years. You knit great. (laughs) You you knit great. I knit real Um, good. But Dad, we call call our dad the lace master because he's got this very fine attention to detail in terms of decorating our house and... and, um, he sewed our Easter dresses and ice of cakes and barbecues yeah. and you know, yeah. mucked out the yard and stuff like that, too. Yeah. So let's shift gears again. <clears throat> um, I want to talk about the role of feminism in, in terms of a lot of things. And I remember coming home from work when you older girls were teenagers. Um, and, and I remember that you know, talking about feminism and that as teenagers, you didn't really think feminism was relevant to your lives or anymore because you thought all the big issues had already been tackled. Do you still mm-hmm. feel that way? Hell no. Sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to Hard say Oh, yeah, no. you can say whatever you want. <laughs> Hard no. Oh, my God. Hard no. 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 I think that we have so many challenges ahead of us and, um, I think the way that feminism has become normative or, or more normative in the way that mass culture operates has um, only really happened over the last couple of years. But I agree. I didn't think that feminism was really relevant to me until I was in college. And I think that it definitely didn't feel personal, um, that I was experiencing this 
struggles of living in a patriarchal culture until I think well after college and working and, you know, starting my career probably and, and thinking about dating and relationships and things like that. And I, I think there's so much work in terms of feminism ahead of us. Lua, have your impressions about feminism and motherhood changed since you had the baby? A lot. I think I feel like I had an opposite experience though, Chicken Hill. Um, I thought about feminism and my feeling about it was really alive and well as a teenager, mm-hmm. especially after living um, in China where um, we would sit at the dinner table there um, with you know groups of people and you could draw a line down the table and the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other side and the men would drink mm-hmm. alcohol and the women would drink juice and after dinner the men would pull out their cigarettes and they light up and smoke and the women if women smoked they were nasty kind of um, and so the the line seemed really obvious um, there but it it also made it impossible to ignore coming back and um I spent a lot of time on public transportation where if you're a girl walking around, you get catcalled all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, all the time. Yeah. And yeah. that was a really big reality for me um, as a young woman um, and, a, and girl. And um, so those were kind of my first places and it was places of, of anger. Um, and I think, you know, now as the mother of a boy, I think less about feminism and more about, well, maybe my concept of it has evolved. Um, Just needing to shift how we move through life and having more empathy and more sensitivity to both genders. Um, You know, I don't, I don't want to raise a son that, feels that the only way to express himself is through anger and violence because that is the norms that we've set for boys. Um, We haven't Mm -hmm. done a good job of creating a space where it's okay to have emotions, um, to cry. But that can be, I mean, incredibly healthy. It's such a relief of of all the chemical buildup in your body when you're having emotion, any any kind of emotion. you know, I don't want to have a son that 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 feels that way. Um, but I want it to be more than just um, this is a son that treats women well. I want this to be. I want to raise a son that treats everyone well. Um, and so I think my feeling of feminism has really changed to incorporate um, you know larger ideas and inclusive of men. Um, you know, I want to see a world where we have maternity leave, and I want to see a world where we have paternity leave um, just as much. So I think as a society and as a, as a planet and as a species, um, we have a lot of work to do. And we're not living in a time that that gender roles are so easily split down the middle. And we have fluidity in, um, in how we identify and what those roles are in a family, as individuals, as a society. So I think there's a long way to go for women's rights, um, but but those rights are also, there's a long way to go for men's rights as well. Olivia. I agree. 
you're yeah you're a teenager at kind of a, a different stage in the history of feminism than your older sisters mm-hmm. yeah do you, do you think that feminism is relevant to your life I do I would say for my generation my age group third wave feminism is a little bit more relevant than second wave feminism which is what I feel like you're referencing and I feel like a lot of the issues that second wave feminism dealt with are still relevant today, like um, like equal pay and reproductive rights, stuff like that. Those are definitely still rel- relative today, but they're less relative for people of my generation, I feel like, because we, we've grown up having these things as more normal, you know? Mm-hmm. So issues like overall gender rights and... LGBTQ rights, those are more prevalent and pressing for us because a lot of the other issues have, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't say that we're equal yet, but I, I haven't grown up, I felt like in a world where I felt like I was being oppressed by any gender, like over the other, you know? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I've grown up in a world where I felt like, even though there isn't equal pay, I don't see that as the biggest issue facing feminism for me, you know, because so much fighting has already been done for issues in second wave feminism that it's just more normal for me to experience these things as, like, how society functions like um like uh, abortion rights i've grown up in a in a society where i i wouldn't say that taking that you should just get an abortion without any thought but i wouldn't ever see a situation where i think if somebody wanted an abortion they shouldn't be able to have it and that's a that's an issue I feel like was fought for really hard before me, but I don't really need to fight for that as much because it's I've just grown up having that idea in my head. So I don't know. I would say that definitely for my generation, third wave feminism is a lot more prevalent and pressing. And I feel like a lot a lot more of my friends and my peers would identify as third wave feminists rather than second-wave feminist. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. But also during mm-hmm. your generation, I see um, some real regression in terms of reproductive rights. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, issues as simple as having access to safe and legal abortion or having access to healthcare facilities where you can get contraception, that's being challenged on an almost daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's different from, you know, even when your older sisters were in high school. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's, it's definitely a, a political issue right now. But, I mean, like at my school, there's a health clinic where they'll give you, they'll give you birth control and stuff like that without any questions, without needing your parents. I, I don't know, maybe it's, again, just living in this liberal community that I live in, but I don't, I don't see a future where 
where stuff like reproductive rights and abortion and birth control, I don't see logically that we would make all of that illegal. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. <clears throat> doesn't make a lot of sense to me either, but there are definitely people who are running on the presidential platform right now that reproductive rights for women mm-hmm. and and in, in some, you know, more loose ways, economy for women are, are inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely worried about it. Definitely worried about it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Maybe since I've just, I don't know, I haven't been paying as much atten- attention to, like, the presidential race, but. It's not part of your 16-year-old life. Yeah. I don't, I don't see it as, an, as that much of an issue. I don't see a future where. Mm-hmm abortion and birth control wouldn't be made ready for the people who needed it. Yeah. You know what? I remember, I remember, you know, a time when I had to pay for birth control. Um, Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a circumstance where I have, you know, an IUD and I don't have to think about that for the next 12 years. But I remember um, needing access to birth control because for health reasons, and it cost me hundreds of dollars a month. And so I think yeah. for me as a young woman, my my identity to my sexual health is also kind of fraught because it was only 2010 or 11 or so when Obama um, made preventative um, health care, birth control, free to access. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a big thing for me. Like that was so few years ago. Um, so I do remember a time very in the very very recent past where it was really difficult to access um reproductive health care in an affordable way okay. so for me those things are still really really close to home um yeah and and i feel that tension especially listening to you know trump just in this last week said that he wanted to punish women for getting abortions and then that didn't go over very well so then he tried to say he wants to punish the doctors who perform abortions and um you know he's really, really popular. He's scarily popular. I you know, have the privilege of being a liberal to say that it's scary that Trump is so popular. But, um, man, that is an important thing to so much of the country is women not having access to an abortion clinic. Um, I, I feel like really Trump, at least what I've seen, again, I haven't been, I'm not like super informed on what's happening in the election, but I feel like what I see is him just saying what people want to hear. He's definitely a populist um, person. I, I don't know that he means everything that he says. I don't think he means most of what he says. I think he's just saying what he thinks people want to hear to get their vote. I think that this is yeah, a good point, good point for us to shift gears one more time. And We have been on this call for quite a time now, and so I'm going to ask the final question that I ask everybody who comes on my podcast, and any and all of you can answer it in any way you want. And the last question I always ask is, where are you in your life as a mom, or where are you in your life in terms of motherhood? Who wants to take that? Well, I can start off by talking here. about my, <laughs> my fur baby. No, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily yeah, mean 
it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, do you intend to be a mom? But everybody has a mom, is a mom, knows a mom, mm-hmm. was, you know, everybody has a relationship to motherhood. What is yours? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. Lua, do you want to go? Okay, yeah. wait. Who's going? Yeah. Lua? <laughs> Me, Lua. I'm Lua. Okay. I'm not muted. Okay, I didn't accidentally mute myself. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot for obvious reasons, um, but also less obvious reasons. Um, I've been thinking about motherhood um, since becoming a mother. I have always thought about motherhood because I lost my mother at a young, at a young age. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately um, in the context of, um, of work. Um, and working with kids who who have mothers who aren't present, um, maybe emotionally. And I think where I am right now is really appreciating how much of yourself you can give to another person and how challenging that is and how motherhood is nothing like you can imagine before becoming a mother and how um, it's so important to have empathy for everyone um, trying to move through their journey of, of becoming a mother or choosing not to become a mother or making decisions um, related to their child they may or may not agree with and um, including things like having an abortion or um, taking birth control or co-sleeping or not co-sleeping, that there's so much judgment and that really it's so personal and that you are never going to get it right. No one's ever really going to get it right um, or as right as we want because we're not perfect. And that struggle is so real and it just magnifies your own desire to, for self-improvement and um, I think it, it highlights your deficiencies sometimes in ways that you really have to learn to find empathy for yourself and it just reminds me more and more um, to have that much more empathy for other people. Nice work. Who's next? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go. Yeah. Okay. Lauren? Okay. All right. Um, I am not a mother, but one thing that it has been on the top of my mind, um, at the top of my mind recently that I think is maybe just the beginning of my own path is thinking about, um, similar to Lua, empathy. Um, but also leadership and guidance within a community and um, how to foster compassionate behavior um, through leading by example. And maybe that is a really good 
step for me to be taking if I myself want to be a mother someday and how I could be um, the best mother I could be to my children, the best parent I could be to my children. Good one. Who else? Um, I'm, I'm ready. I have always, I, I am not a mother. Well, I am sort of a mother. I have a two-year-old bouncing golden retriever boy who I'm very, very attached to. And um, he's not a human baby. But I always feel like I have to qualify that. But he's taught me a lot about patience and growth and, um, and love and structure and things like that. But I think more than having a dog, I have always fallen into this trope of being a nurturer. Um, in my communities, I have always been the one to sort of pick up pieces for people or to soothe people or to take care of people who are ill or to inform people in these really typical, I think, domestic um, manifestations of motherhood. And more or less, they've been satisfying or they have not. Um, but that's always the role that I've fallen in. So I think that's something that I... Um, I'm starting to learn how to harness in a way that's appropriate for myself and for my communities that I'm working with. And um, it's challenging and it is uh, sort of that is my relationship to motherhood right now is trying to love people without attachment and um, set up, do what I can to set up the best possible life for them and um, then learn when I need to step back for myself. And so that's sort of, the term nurturer, um, I've been called a nurturer a lot in the last couple of months. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what that means to me. Okay. Lee or Liv, do you want to answer? You don't have to, but you can if you want. Um, I don't know that I have the perspective or like, I don't, I don't really know that I know how to answer this question in relationship to me so I'm the past you're still being mothered day to day yeah I know that but I just I don't really know that I know how to answer the question so got it how about you Lee um well I have been uh thinking about parenthood recently um because I am and I don't know what I'm doing, um, but I don't know. I think that um, I think that having you as a mom has has her. Uh, I don't know. I feel I feel like slightly more prepared if I ever was a parent. Like um, being a dumb boy growing up, I had lots of cuts and scrapes and. Um, injuries from various things and I, I know how to dress the hell out of uh, <laughs> a big old gash no problem um, uh, I, could, I could tell you if I need to go to the emergency room or not um, I don't know I, I hope that I hope that <laughs> I, I hope that I've soaked up some of the knowledge that you have been trying to throw at us Oh, uh, Lord. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, I think that this was a really thoughtful conversation, and I really appreciate each of you 
sharing your perspectives. And I am grateful to each and every one of you for making me the mama I am. And with that, we're going to say... We're grateful for you. Aw, sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. We're very lucky. We're very lucky. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, we are. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and end this call. Happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. And we'll talk again next week. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Today's guests were Lauren, Camille, Lee, and Olivia Faulkner and Lua Masumi. You can see some of Lauren's work at laurenfaulkner.weebly.com and at urbanstems.com. Camille works at Operation Sack Lunch, and you can learn more about that at oslserves.com. Lee Faulkner's music can be found at leefaulkner.bandcamp.com and Lua's podcast, the superheroes of los angeles at lasuperheroes.com common sense pregnancy and parenting podcast is produced by alex ward at sounds like pictures studios in portland oregon you can learn more about me and my work at genefaulkner.com email your questions and ideas for future podcasts at gene at genefaulkner.com or tweet me at genefaulkner thanks for listening sharing the podcast Thanks for letting me share my family with you today. Thanks for subscribing, and let's keep this conversation going.